Good morning. It's great to see all of you here to worship with us this morning. Thank you for coming out in the middle of winter and worshiping with us. I find it funny. I probably say this at least once a week as I talk to people, but it's like the weather is the one thing we can do nothing about, and yet it dominates conversation. I just I find this really curious. And I've only ever lived in Minnesota. Maybe this is different in other places of the country. I'm not sure. But anyways, glad to see you this morning. Glad that God's grace is sufficient, that he is present with us through his spirit, and that we're able to gather together to worship him. We are almost finished with our study of the book of Ephesians. This morning, we're going to take chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. So this will end Paul's section on spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Next week, our brother Brett Tony will be with us from Westview Church. Excited to have Brett come and share the word with us. And the following Sunday, Lord willing, we will finish the book of Ephesians. So it's very exciting and uh, good to look back and see God's grace through this whole process. I was listening to an interview with John MacArthur, I think it was this week, and uh, he was talking about the state of the church, the state of the world, the, w- the way things are, how the church now has to deal with things uh, maybe that they didn't have to deal with in the same way even 10 or 15 years ago, cultural things, standards, all this kind of stuff. And as a result of that, he has decided to go back and again preach through the book of Ephesians because of its relevance, because of its instruction for the believer, how it shows us the plan of God that mankind would be reconciled to God through Christ and that the church is the vehicle by which the gospel spreads throughout all the world. And as I was thinking back upon our our time in the book of Ephesians and how I've been regularly encouraged and challenged and my confidence in the word of God has grown because of this, my confidence in what God's plan is. You know that God's plan is that through the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ would go to every corner of the world. And he's doing that through the ministry of churches who equip missionaries, who send them out and good organizations and all this kind of stuff. And so I am just so encouraged. And we could have started Grace Bible Church with any book. It wouldn't have been wrong to start anywhere in the Bible. But I am so thankful that God led us to start with the book of Ephesians. And I feel like it has been very helpful for me and hopefully for you. And apparently John MacArthur agrees, so we're good. We don't have to worry about him coming after us. Nobody wants that. Um, so anyways, so let's begin for this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and follow along. I'm going to back up and start at verse 13 so that we can get this section in context and we'll read this and then pray together. So Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 13. I invite you to follow along with me. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, 
and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the completeness of your word. And I thank you for the way that you have ordained our lives to be, that we, we come to know you through faith in what your son Jesus Christ has done. And then as we grow in our understanding, as we grow through our experiences, through the difficulty that you bring us through, we get to see more and more of your purpose, more of your character, the plans that you have for us. And I thank you that you did not leave us, but that you have sent us your spirit and your word. And even as we've spent the past several weeks looking at this section of the armor of God, what an encouragement to know that we are not powerless against the attacks of our enemy, but you, through your word and as a result of the ministry of your Holy Spirit, are equipping us to stand in the evil day. So Father, I praise you for your works. I praise you for your faithfulness. And as we now come to the close of this section and soon the end of this book, I pray that you would impress upon all of our hearts the importance of being ready. We do not know what the future will bring exactly. But when we read your word, we see that there are coming times where we will have to decide who do we really trust, who do we really follow, who gets our allegiance. And we cannot serve two masters. So Father, give us the strength to believe that your word is true. Give us faith to trust that your promises are real and that you will fulfill every one of them in Christ. So I commit this time to you. Open our understanding, Lord, that we would see what your word says and benefit from it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At the center of spiritual warfare, the very middle is prayer. I think that's what Paul is getting at as he comes to the close of this section now, talking about all of the different pieces of armor that we are to put on to prepare ourselves for spiritual combat. And he wants us to see now that prayer is at the very center of all of the things that he has just talked about. Prayer is not weapon number seven. We just went through six different things, and Paul, for every uh, issue, everything that he talked about, he put a illustrative thing with it, right? The shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and all that kind of stuff. It's not so with prayer. He's not starting a new thought here. He is continuing his instruction that he started back in verse 10 at the beginning of this section about how we are to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord. So you could actually take this and you could say, you can connect verse 10 down to verse 18. You could connect verse 13 down to 18. You see what I'm saying? You could say, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, praying at all times in the Spirit. Right? You could say that with verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the spiritual forces of evil by praying. You, know, you see what I'm saying? This is a continuation of Paul's instruction. This is not a new section. And I hope your Bible has a comma after verse 17. If it doesn't, 
you need a new translation because there's not a, this isn't a separate teaching. This is how we are able to stand by praying at all times in the Spirit. So I want you to see this as a continuation, not a new section of teaching from the Apostle Paul. So what I'd like to do is to start in verse 18, and we're going to take these three verses, but I want to show you five things about prayer that I believe the Apostle Paul wants us to know. These could be, you could call them categories, characteristics, whatever you want to call them. I'm just going to show you five things about prayer. So, are we ready? As the kids say these days, let's go. Number one, we see the commitment to prayer. Verse 18, praying at all times. Now, it should be no surprise if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, even just a little bit, to hear him say something like praying at all times. This has been his model both in instruction and also by example. That the posture of prayer that we are to have as believers is not occasional, but constant. Let me just give you a couple examples. In his teaching, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Now, of course, we know that that does not mean you should quit your job, uh, retract from all your social engagements, and just pray 24 hours a day. That is a posture of your heart. Okay, same thing that he's getting at here in Ephesians chapter 6. Also, by way of his example in Paul's own prayers, 1 Corinthians 1.4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of his grace. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you feel this kind of constant and regular prayer that the Apostle Paul is both commending to us and also he examples for us. There's this theme of persistence, regularity and consistence, I think, in the Apostle's prayer life, and that's what he wants us to know here. When he says to the Ephesians, pray at all times, another good translation that might be a little bit easier for us to understand would be, pray at every opportunity. That's what Paul is saying there at the beginning of verse 18. Pray at every opportunity. He's saying, do not miss an opportunity to call upon God for help. As you are standing firm in your faith against the attacks of the devil, Paul says you got to pray and ask God to enable you at every opportunity to stand firm against the subtle and obvious attacks of the devil. Also, in the context of this letter, the fact that Paul is not writing to an individual, he is writing to a group of churches like ours, that corporately meet together, I think we could rightly expand this instruction about prayer to praying for others in the Christian community. We'll get to this a little bit later. But Paul's instruction to pray at all times does not only apply if you have something to pray for at the moment. Here's what I mean. To pray at all times, sometimes we think, okay, if I have something going on, I better pray about it. And that's true, right? I think we would all say we need to bring these things to the Lord in prayer. However, praying at all times, this posture of continuous, never missing an opportunity kind of prayer, indicates that we ought to also be praying for one another in this way. Prayer is not just, I have a problem, I need God's help. Prayer is meant to be, we have a problem, we need encouragement, and we should pray for each other in this context, okay? 
So as we are equipped through the armor of God, as Paul is saying, to pray at every opportunity, just remember that it's not only individual prayer. It is corporate as well. And like I said, we'll get to this in a few minutes. There is one reason, there's more than one reason, but there are many reasons, but we we do this at Grace. We have a prayer chain, and I don't know if you've taken advantage of this, but there is an email address that you can send prayer requests to. We communicate needs in the body. It's a way to share the, the burden to pray for one another, and I just thought I would take this opportunity to encourage you to take advantage of that. Like I said, it's, prayer is not just for when you individually have a problem. We ought to be praying for each other, and that's just one of the tools that we can use. But also remember here, this is the context of Paul's thinking is spiritual warfare. Okay, this isn't just a general principle of prayer. It is, but it's more than that because he is in the context of talking about putting on this armor of God. So when we think about prayer in terms of standing firm against the attacks of the enemy, I think we need to see it not as, and this was something that I think Piper said originally, he said prayer is not a telephone to call the front desk when you need more pillows in your room. It is a wartime tool. It is a walkie-talkie to call in reinforcements or airstrikes or additional weapons, this kind of thing. And I think in Paul's context, he's saying, look, if you are going to stand firm, if you are going to resist the attacks and the advances of the devil, then you have to be in this constant state of prayer at every opportunity. God, give me strength, give me wisdom, give me protection, give me discernment, and pray the same thing for your brothers and sisters. This is to be our commitment to prayer, that we pray at all times. Number two, we see the power of prayer. Verse 18 again, praying at all times in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who stands beside the believer in a in a figurative sense, encouraging their prayer, helping them to know who to pray for and what to pray for and when to pray for them. He is the power in our prayer. And when Paul says we ought to pray in the Spirit, he does not mean that you need to get yourself into some kind of whipped up spiritual state so that you're kind of in this uh, fogginess and oh, now I'm in the Spirit. It's a dative of means, which means that when he says praying in the Spirit, he means that the Spirit of God is the means by which we pray. It doesn't mean that you transport yourself into some weird spiritual state and kind of meditate and lose your mind and just hope that God, no, that's not it. It is means. The Holy Spirit is the power in prayer and he is the means by which we pray as believers. Paul attested to this work of the Spirit In Romans chapter 8, this is verse 26, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we don't have the strength, we don't have the power in many ways, to know what to pray for or how to pray or all these things, but the Spirit of God does. And the Spirit of God motivates and energizes our prayers so that we pray in accordance to the will of God. This is his ministry. This is why I say he is the power behind prayer. How do you know what to pray for? 
Just think about that really quick. How do you know? Is it just needs that come up? Is it situations you're made aware of? How do you know what to pray for? Maybe you keep a list. You know, that's a good discipline to, to write things down. But there's a sense in which when we pray by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, that he often brings things to mind. This has happened numerous times with me. It's nothing weird. It's nothing creepy or like really spooky. What it is is that you are praying and all of a sudden someone will come to my mind. I mean, I have no reason to think of this person. But God brings that to you, lays it on your heart maybe is the churchy way of saying that, right? Someone gets laid on your heart and you pray for them. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you. Because we don't know every need. We don't know everything that ought to be prayed for. I don't. I need the Holy Spirit working through the word of God, working in my heart, giving the power behind prayer. Praying at all times in the spirit is how we stand firm. It's how we put on the armor of God. Number three, Paul wants us to know the approach of prayer. How should we approach prayer? What should be the attitude of our heart? as we come into prayer, in the context of equipping and standing firm. Verse 18, again, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Supplication just means requests. To that end, here it is, keep alert with all perseverance. As we are prepared to stand firm against our enemy, as we pray in the Spirit, we are to keep alert, to persevere, This should be our approach in prayer. Now, if you're like me, there are times when your prayer life kind of loses steam. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I know that this happens. It happens to me. It just feels like if you wait till the end of the day and you're like, okay, I'm going to spend time in prayer and your mind is just dull from all of the things that you've had to do and you just find it difficult to be alert and stay awake. Anyone That happened to anyone else? I'm okay being the weird one. But that's what happens. So Paul instructs us that as you are equipping yourself, as the word of God is coming to bear on your life, you need to have this diligence, this alertness in your prayer life. He doesn't just say keep alert so that you don't physically fall asleep. I think that what he's saying by using the word alert is that he's saying that we need to bring the same amount of diligence and effort into our prayer life as we do other areas of spiritual disciplines. Okay, all of us know our besetting sin. We know the things that we struggle with. And so as a result of that, hopefully, Lord willing, you put boundaries up. You separate yourself from those things. You have intentionality, right? If you know you struggle with this, then you should do whatever you can to stay away from this, right? We put up boundaries, we put up things. I think the same thing with prayer. If you know that you struggle in a certain area of prayerfulness or alertness or whatever, then put the same amount of effort into your prayer life. Don't get lax or lazy in equipping yourself through prayer to stand firm against the enemy. That is exactly what Satan wants to have happen. If he can just get you to say, oh man, it's 9.30, I'm super tired, I just can't do it tonight. He goes, yes. Because the Christian who prays is a Christian who is able 
to put all of these pieces of armor on and stand against the attacks of the devil. The word that Paul uses here for keep alert is also translated uh, wake, stay awake. It's the same kind of thing. Jesus used this word in the Garden of Eden. He has Peter, James, and John, the Garden of Eden. (laughs) He was there, but not, not, not what I'm talking about. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he calls the three disciples and he says, stay alert, watch with me, pray with me. What's he saying there? He's saying, pay attention, keep awake, and they don't do it. Also in Mark chapter 13, if anyone wants to know what Mark 13 means, I have it right here. This is Jesus' instruction. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. There's this alertness, this readiness, which doesn't that fit in with the preparedness that Paul has been driving at through this whole section? We've talked about this, that Paul is preparing these churches and us by extension to stand firm and to have that same kind of mentality in our prayer life is critical. Therefore, our approach to prayer should be that of keeping awake and, Paul says, perseverance. See that at the end of the verse there? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. It's really easy to give up praying if you don't immediately get the answer. And we think, oh, God must not want us to have that, or I'm going to give up, or whatever the case. Paul says, no. No, keep praying. All perseverance. Do not give up praying, or don't say, well, I guess I'm just not going to have victory in this area of my life, or whatever, just because you don't immediately get the answer you want, or if God doesn't answer in the way that you think he should. Persevere. Keep going. Do not stop equipping yourself through constant, at every opportunity, prayer. It is so easy to give up. It is way easier to give up than to persevere. You know this, right? But it is so crucial that we do not give one inch of ground up to this. Persevere. Keep alert. This is to be our approach in prayer. Number four. We see the object of prayer. The object of prayer. Look at the end of verse 18. Making supplication or requests for all the saints. Now two things come to mind when I read that all the saints language. First, and I mentioned this before, so now we're just going to get into it a little bit more. Our prayers should reach beyond our immediate context of our life and impact and intercede for the people in our covenant community. However, making supplication for all the saints does not mean that we have to pray for every Christian, everywhere, by name, something, I mean, that's kind of a silly uh, example, but you see what I'm saying? I don't think when Paul says praying for all the saints, he literally means every Christian everywhere. I think in the context of this letter, as he is writing instruction for the churches, he means pray for your local body, for those that you have community with or connection with. For example, in our services, this just happened, David just did this, we pray for our church. We pray for the people in our church. We pray for needs and requests that come up in our church. But we also pray for other churches that are outside of our immediate context. We pray for their health, for their growth, for God to work in their body and for their pastors and for their elders. This is one of the ways 
I think that we can follow the instruction of this passage. Now the second thing that I think of when Paul says making supplication for all the saints is that spiritual warfare is a community effort. Have you ever thought about that? I hadn't really thought about that until I was looking at this text this week and I thought, hmm. Most of the time we talk about my fight against sin, my struggle with such and such a thing, my standing firm, and that's true and necessary. But as Paul is talking about resisting the schemes and the attacks of the devil, he says you should be praying for all the saints, which tells me that spiritual warfare is a community effort. Clinton Arnold is one of the guys that I read pretty regularly, and he says this, if prayer is foundational to the development of all the armor, so he's picking up on Ephesians 6 and saying, okay, Paul is saying prayer is the thing that enables us to put this armor on. Okay, you tracking so far? If prayer is foundational to the development of the armor, then it is not simply a matter of individuals praying for themselves privately, but of Christians arming each other through prayer. Isn't that a great phrase? Christians arming each other through prayer. He goes on. Paul apparently wants believers to feel a responsibility to pray for each other so that they can stand with purity and integrity before God by resisting the varied attacks of the devil. What a great thought. Shouldn't that expand our horizon a little bit, brothers and sisters? Because I guarantee you that if you are struggling with something, there is somebody else struggling with the same thing. And part of being together in a church is that we share those things with one another in appropriate contexts and we pray for one another and strengthen one another. And I think Arnold's language is perfect that Christians arm each other through prayer. It's like handing your brother a weapon when you pray for him in that way. It's fantastic. Now, I've said that this should, you know, the context of our church and people we know, it is not wrong to pray for people outside of your context. I'm, I am not trying to say you should not pray for missionaries, for people groups, for people that you will never come into contact with. It is right and good to pray for those. Paul says this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, when he says, I urge, therefore, that prayers and supplications be made for all people, for men of high position. And he goes through kind of this list, right, of the different categories of people. But in the context of Ephesians here, in chapter 6, he is talking about the body and how they are to act together. So not wrong to go outside of that, but I think for his purpose, in terms of arming each other for this battle that we are entering into, we should primarily pray for those in our covenant community and those that we have relationship with in this way. Does that make sense? It's not an either or, it's a both and situation, but primarily Paul is saying you need to pray for each other. You need to equip one another, pray for all the saints that we would stand against the schemes of the devil. So... We saw Paul's commitment to prayer, praying at all times. We saw the power of prayer, praying in the Spirit. The approach to prayer, praying with perseverance, with alertness. And the object of prayer, now fifth and finally, I want to look at the content of prayer. 
the content of prayer. Read verses 19 through 20 with me again. And pray also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is requesting that the content of the prayers coming out of the churches in Ephesus would be for boldness to proclaim the gospel wherever he goes. When he asks that words may be given to him, do you see that there? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth. It's not that Paul has no idea what to say. Okay, he's not saying, man alive, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to this synagogue, I'm gonna go to these people's home and I have no idea what I'm gonna say. Paul knows the gospel. Right, we see this from his writing and from his teaching ministry. It's not that he doesn't know what to say, but he is so determined, I believe, to be dependent upon God in every area of his ministry that he says, pray with me that God would give me the ability to string words and sentences together in a way that is actually helpful and beneficial, that will further the cause of Christ, that will greater, uh, have a greater capacity for spreading the light and the truth of Jesus. It's not that he doesn't know what to say. But he wants his ministry and his preaching and his teaching to be dependent upon God. Therefore, he says, pray for me that my mouth would be opened with boldness to speak exactly what needs to be heard, which is the truth of the gospel. As I've mentioned in the past couple weeks, I really believe that Paul is primarily drawing on the Old Testament as he's thinking, okay, how can I encourage this church? How can I be helpful in this letter that I'm writing? So he goes back and he reads the scrolls and he reads the manuscripts and he pulls wisdom under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that here, when he's talking about opening his mouth and having words to speak, he's thinking back to how God in times past has helped other leaders, other men of God who have been put in situations that they need to declare the truth. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses is having this dialogue with God. And God has told him, I'm going to use you in this way. You're going to go and you're going to speak to Pharaoh. You're going to be kind of put in the spotlight and you're going to have to communicate for me. And Moses says, I'm not the guy. Like, I don't like to speak like that. I don't know what to say. I'm going to read for you Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? I mean, that should have just shut him up right there. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth. Can you imagine having that kind of confidence? You're going into a situation and God himself says, don't worry about it. I will be with your mouth and give you the words to say. That's what Paul needed. He needed boldness. He needed wisdom. He needed the right words to communicate. Jesus himself promised this kind of help to his people. 
When he's talking with his disciples, he's, he's telling them about what's going to happen in the future in their ministries and when they're called before leaders and all these kinds of things. This is Luke chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus says, but before all this, they will lay their hands upon you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how you should answer, for I will give you a mouth, and I will give you wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand. That's exactly what Paul needed. Paul was on his way to Rome to be in a tribune before Nero, the most powerful man in all the world. Paul had appealed to Caesar and said, look, I want to give a defense for what's going on. What did he really want to do? He wasn't going to defend his rights as a citizen. What was he going to do? He was going to preach the gospel to the most powerful man in the world at that time. Therefore, he says to this church, Look, as you're praying to equip yourselves, to stand firm, pray for me. I'm going to stand before people who will cut me down when they get the opportunity. Pray that words would be given to me as I open my mouth boldly to speak this gospel. Uh, At the end of this section, I think it's verse 20, Paul says, Uh, He's a mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As I ought to speak is a really weak translation. This indicates Paul had an obligation. He says, you could say, as I am constrained to speak. Paul knows that wherever he goes, he is going to open his mouth and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what God had called him to do. So he prays himself, that he would have strength, and he asks for the prayers of this church. And I'm really encouraged to read that. I mean, Paul was not uncertain in his ministry. He knew what he was doing. He knew what God had called him to do. And even though he knew that going where he was going, going to Rome, he knew what was probably going to happen there. The Lord had revealed this to him. He knows he is following the will of God and he still asks for help. He still asks for prayer. What does that mean for us? Maybe you're not going to Rome to stand in front of Nero. But if you are following what God has called you to do, if you are walking in obedience, that doesn't mean you can just do it on your own. Just because you have confidence that you are being obedient to God does not mean that you just say, well, okay, I guess from here on out I can just do this myself. No. You need other people praying for you. You cannot live the Christian life on your own without the support of your brothers and sisters arming you for the fight. Now me, I'm probably not going to go down to the governor's mansion and give a defense of my life No one's threatening me there, but I need the same thing that Paul asked for. I need prayer from you for boldness to preach the truth of the gospel. I know that when I stand in the pulpit, I can seem confident, bold, assertive. That's not Jacob. That's God working through me. But I need your prayers for boldness I need you to pray for me for faithfulness that I don't 
make shipwreck of my faith or fall into some sin or failure? Do you pray for me in that way? I need it. You need it for each other. I need it from you. And I hope that you do. Because it's the only way that this church is going to remain faithful to God is if we pray for one another. If we arm each other through prayer, we're all really weak. I mean, we, we can seem confident and, and maybe Sunday morning you put on your, your special Sunday morning face and it seems really, you know, like everything's together. But I know because I'm not together and I'm weak that you must be as well. So we have to follow this instruction. We have to pray for one another at all times, at every opportunity. Pray in the Spirit. Pray that God would reveal to you who you should be praying for and how you should pray for them. Have perseverance in your prayer. Come boldly to God knowing that he has promised to hear you and answer you. Don't give up. Keep alert. Stay awake. Pray for those around you in our community, in the churches that we partner with. And pray for me and for each other that we would all have boldness to speak the truth. If ever there was a time that we need strength to speak truth, it is right now and it is right here. Truth is about the most unpopular thing that you can throw around these days, especially if you claim exclusive truth, which we do. So pray for each other. William Cooper was a Puritan age poet And he wrote this about prayer. We'll close with this. It's so good. He says, In restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. May that be true in our church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the instruction of your word. Thank you that you have given us through the knowledge of your son Jesus Christ everything that we need for life and for godliness. Thank you that even though our adversary is great and strong, we know that you are greater and you are stronger. And so as we face the various trials and sufferings of this life, whether as a result of our own sin or the attack of the enemy or just the state of this fallen world, God, give us the strength to be a praying people, that we would lift each other up, that we would strengthen and equip each other through prayer. Help us to take this teaching to heart now, Lord. And give us the confidence to know that when we pray, you hear us. And that you will answer our prayers according to your time and according to your will. Strengthen us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.